Dr. Nell Ostermeyer was a guest on episode 10, which aired on May 9th, 2020. There we discussed her childhood, her veterinary school experience, her training in integrated medicine, and her clinical practice and teaching in Portland, Oregon. In this episode, we discuss the coaching services that she provides through her website, People and Pets. She offers coaching and consulting for both veterinarians and pet owners alike. This conversation focuses on her coaching services for veterinarians. Please enjoy this conversation as we discuss the factors that affected her implementation of acupuncture into her conventional practice, her unique perspective into trends based on her role teaching acupuncture students, and the five biggest concerns that new integrated veterinarians should consider when adding new modalities to their practice. Dr. Ostermeyer, thanks for taking time again to speak with us. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm happy to talk about um, integrative medicine and, and my specific role in that world, so glad to be here. Good. Um, I just want to remind everybody, you were on episode 10, which aired on May 9th, 2020. So for your full backstory, uh, if you haven't heard it, people should go there and listen to that. So we're just going to do a brief uh run up to what we want to talk about today, which is your um, coaching services. Mm-hmm. And you, so you're a 2004 Illinois graduate, um, you and your husband and your business partner, uh, husband slash business partner moved to Portland in 2007. And in 2010, you took the IVIS course. So I, I guess my first question would be thinking about your work in helping other veterinarians, um, move into integrated practice. How did you sell this idea to your husband and business partner that you wanted to become certified in acupuncture? Well, it was it was something that I would consider a little bit of a challenge because at the time when I decided to become certified, we were struggling a bit with our, our new practice. We had been open about three years and we opened right at the beginning of the economic recession, the big one in 2008. So it was a bit of a tough sell, but the way that we looked at it was, or the way that I approached it with him was more from the business than the emotional standpoint. Of course, I really was passionate about adding something new Um that could help reduce pain and be an added tool in some of my chronic disease patients or senior patients. But um, that was kind of the emotional piece. That was the why behind I wanted to do it. I needed to be able to support that um, in order to keep our business sustainable. And so I came at it from more of what I would call the business sense. And we talked about how acupuncture would be a value added service. It would be something additional we could offer to clients. And anytime you're adding something new that's going to benefit your patients, you should see a return on that investment. So um, we talked about how we could build clientele by using the new modality and then um, how we could achieve re- uh, return on investment. And we also set some goals. So uh, our the simple way that we we said our, our most basic goal was that we um, budgeted out or we looked at what it would cost for me to take the course and do all of the traveling. And we totaled up that number and we said, okay, the, the first year that you are going through this course and getting certified, we want to make sure that acupuncture brings in that amount of revenue to our practice. You know, so it wasn't super intricate or complicated, but it gave us a starting point on how we could at least cover the cost of me taking the course and investing my time and energy. Um, so that's what we did. We were able to meet and exceed the goal. And we we set subsequent goals from that that um, helped to grow profit while still focusing on the ethical revenue of helping our patients and and providing our clients with more options for giving their pets the best life. I can tell you that I certainly didn't do that. I didn't have to justify it to anybody. And I can imagine that a lot of people just go with the emotional part. And this is something, you know, I've hit this, hit this portion of my practice and I am kind of burned out and I need to do something different, or this is something I've always wanted to do. So, uh, it is, it's nice to hear that you guys actually, you know, did that, did some of the analytical side and, and, you know, would you have done that without him? Who knows, but at least you guys were able to get together and do that. And, and I suppose it 
probably incentivized you a little bit to, you know, come home from those modules and put it to work. Absolutely. And that was um, another reason why I wanted to have set goals and why I needed them to be attached to, um, like, I needed them to be attached to a, um, what I want to say, an inventory code or a business code in our software. Granted, if you don't have software, you can still keep track of what you're what you're bringing in with acupuncture, whatever your tracking tool is, you just have to have a way to identify what's actually coming in from the acupuncture or the integrative side or the holistic modality that you're bringing in. It doesn't have to just be acupuncture. And um, like I said, I needed to attach it to the finances because that was the easiest way to track. And it also was the, the way that I could engage my business partner who not everyone's business partner is their husband, you know, in supporting me in investing in this course. So um, I wanted to be emotional about it, but I, I, I've had a lot of coaching myself, honestly, <laughs> to know that I'm an emotional decision maker. I like to make decisions from my gut. And that's a really cool um, talent to have, a really cool strength to have, but it's also can be a weakness. And so I was aware of my little bit of a weakness around that. And I actually chose to kind of face the challenge of that weakness by tying in the finances and setting more of an analytical goal. And what that did for me to circle back to what you were saying is it really motivated me not to be giving acupuncture away. Okay. Because even when you're a new practitioner, you are still providing a treatment and you're still using your brain and your hands and your needles or whatever other tool you use for acupuncture, your modality is, and you're still adding to that patient's treatment plan. So it has a value. And, you know, for those struggling with charging right away, you know, there are strategies, and this is one of the things I coach on, where we can start with, uh, you know, a, a fee schedule that you're comfortable with and build up to a fee schedule that is more healthy for your practice, right? And keeps you and your practice sustainable. And essentially that's what I did. You know, I started with a charge that I felt that I felt there comes that emotion good about. And then I kind of stair-stepped that as I got more and more confident that I was bringing uh, a better life to my patients by bringing this modality and um, so that's, you know, that's what I encourage other vets to do now. And um, through coaching, um, you know, I'm able to help help other vets personally, but I do have um, materials out there that you can learn from that don't require one-on-one -on -one coaching. But yes, it's, you know, it's really hard to get over that first hump when you are learning a new modality. And I'm going to kind of keep referring back to acupuncture because that's what I'm best at. <laughs> Um, but when you're learning a new modality, it's hard to talk about it. It's hard to work it into the schedule. It's hard to feel good about charging for it for some vets. And so I noticed all of that and I noticed it in myself. Um, and I am trying to bring that forward to make it easier and, and less stressful for other vets out there who want to integrate. Cool. Now, I immediately, when I thought about challenges for you starting out, I went, defaulted to financial. But were were there other hurdles as you were starting out that you that you noticed that have kind of led you to uh, the services you offer now? Yes. Um, well, there were other challenges I faced, and then there are all of the challenges I hear about that I'm privy to because of my experience with the IVIS course. So. Um, and not only the IVIS course, but also speaking at conferences, attending conferences, um, being a sounding board or lending an ear to other vets who are struggling. So I happen to have access to a lot of other veterinarians. Um, and especially when I teach the IVIS course, I hear, you know, all about the challenges that these newly trained or um, these veterinarians who are bringing us on this new, new modality are having. Because of that, my own challenges, I feel like my own challenges that I went through have stayed fresh. You know, like I haven't forgotten what it was like to bring that back to the practice and to face roadblocks and to sometimes feel like the roadblock like hit me right in the front of the face, you know, and at times 
the roadblocks were so big, I almost felt like it would just be easier to give up or not to recommend the acupuncture, just to leave it off the list because I was running out of time, you know? And so my own challenges, I just kind of touched on a little bit. It's like, I came back from the course. I was super excited to start integrating acupuncture. I had done some analysis on what we needed to do for return on investment, but what I hadn't done um, at that point was any analysis on how I was going to schedule this, <laughs> how I was going to get the word out to my clients, um, how I was going to train my team, you know, and so there were a few like mini disasters and meltdowns, right? Like nothing that was going to harm my patients. It was all in, within the operations piece of, of integrating. So like some, some, uh, some disasters around scheduling where, you know, I thought I could take on the extra time to explain the modality and then to, to figure out how I wanted to treat the patient, you know, using my new Chinese medicine brain, which took longer than I thought, and then to get the treatment done. And when we go over in our appointments, certainly when we go over by a significant amount as veterinarians, oftentimes that really stresses out our staff. It, it kind of turns the clients off because, you know, they get impatient. I mean, they're willing. I have really patient clients, I would say, on the on the scale of, of clients, uh, patients levels. And even mine, if I go over, you know, by too long, they're starting to wonder what's going on, right? So immediately, I started realizing that I needed to come up with some strategies on how to integrate this more smoothly. Um, and those strategies were around how I was going to approach my appointments and my appointment times. Um, how I was going to engage my team and um, strategies around what to do if I really didn't have time to incorporate the acupuncture treatment for that pet right then. Um, and then, of course, marketing it to the clients so that maybe my clients would be asking for the acupuncture instead of me always taking on the full responsibility for offering it, introducing this new concept um, from ground zero and, and then uh, falling into one of the pitfalls, which I talk about in um, a guide I created, the pitfall being that I spend way too much time explaining acupuncture, how it works from the Western side, from the Eastern side. And you can really risk the chance of losing your clients in that. When, when you start explaining to the level that you're being taught or that you think other veterinarians, <laughs> or you, you think your clients want to know all those details, right, about Chinese medicine and, and Western medicine and how it works. But in actuality, they don't want to know quite as many details as we, the veterinarians, want to know. Like they don't, most clients don't learn for the sake of learning at the level that veterinarians do. And so keeping it really practical. And that's, um, that's one of the first things that I coach veterinarians on. Um, who are taking the IVIS course. And when they're, you know, one of the, one of the big questions I get, especially in the first couple sessions of that is, um, you know, well, how do I even start talking about this? Like, how do I even get my foot in the door? How do I even bring it up to my clients? Um, and so that's, you know, that's an example of one challenge that I faced. And then I also hear over and over and over again, um, when I, interface with other vets, whether that's at the IVIS course or conferences or just in my in my personal or social rings. Um, so constantly hearing about these challenges and frustrations. And we talked a little bit earlier about the emotional decision to become integrative. Oftentimes that decision comes in of from an emotion of being feeling burnt out. Um, or needing to make a change, looking for, <laughs> let's call it an escape route, or in softer terms, a transition, right? You know, it just depends where you are um, in your mental and emotional space and your practice at the time. But many, many veterinarians are uh, choosing to take on a new modality and a or a holistic modality because they are looking for transition. So um, when they be when they when they learn about a new modality and they want to bring it to practice and then they hit roadblocks on top of this burnout or on top of this um, extreme need to transition it's like a compounding effect and i so i not only 
am aware of the operational challenges of integrating, but also the emotional challenges and the compounding emotional um, distress that I see in vets when they're looking at becoming integrative as a way to move forward. And because they're struggling with the implementation piece, it's actually it's actually keeping them in the same place or they're heading to a worse place because now they have like frustration or and sadness on top of frustration and sadness. And I even see emotions like shame because um, it's almost like they shame themselves that, you know, they they brought this back to their practice and they're not using it. Right. So um, all of this, I am going somewhere with it. <laughs> and that is that all of this is causing me emotional and mental uh, stress. And plus, I'm just a natural like problem solver. And I have a knack for taking really complicated situations, especially if they're other people's really complicated situations, and looking at them through a lens of simplification or chunking it down. And so my my drive, my why, my passion behind wanting to help other vets, it comes from both my analytical side of knowing that there is there are easier ways to implement and I can help them with a roadmap so they can do that and not worry about whether they're doing it right. And then it's also because of my like more warm and fuzzy side, which is that I really want all veterinarians to be happy. You know, I, I, I don't want us to have to come up with, uh, you know, a, a mnemonic NOMV, not one more vet. <laughs> in order to survive the emotional stresses in our field, you know, and, and I'm a full supporter of not, not one more vet. And if you haven't, haven't been exposed to that, it's a, um, it's a movement going on right now around not one more veterinarian or veterinary staff member lost to suicide. And that's a really, really heavy topic. And I'm, I'm certainly not trying to say that, um, you know, every veterinarian that decides to integrate is, is, you know, bordering on that level of mental stress or um, breakdown. But I don't really want to see any veterinarians get to that point, right? Or, or even to the point that they're feeling shameful or upset or frustrated about where they're at in their career. Um, and so I'd like to help other vets get through that. And, and that's what I feel like I'm doing now. Um, and I've got a few avenues. Um, in order, uh, in order for vets to access what I've learned, you know, my roadmaps, what I can share. Um, I certainly have also had blind spots in my career where maybe I thought I had everything figured out and I didn't, or I thought I knew the best way and I didn't. And I have relied on experts to help me with that. I have relied on coaching to help me with that. And I've seen and felt the results. Um, so, so that's what I'm trying to bring to our veterinary world and specifically our, our integrative world. I think it's a real strength, um, that I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to bring it up that you've not only do you have your clinical experience. So, you know, you, you took the course in 2010, um, correct me if I'm wrong in 2017, you started coaching, but so you had that clinical time, but you also had the experience of teaching the IVIS students. And so I think your, your perspective is a ton different than mine because you're seeing a whole flocks and flocks of people that are coming in and starting this type of practice or adding this sort of thing to their practice. And I think that's really important because you more have your finger on the pulse of um, what their concerns are um, year to year. Yeah, I just I have a really, a really wide access point there, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm hearing, you know, even from course to course, sometimes, um, what is worrying, uh, the different, the different veterinarians going through the course, um, could be different, but there are some similar themes that just continue to pop up and up. And I started, I actually started as a TA in the course three years after I certified. So 2010, I certified by 2013. I had actually, um, I had actually taken my personal practice within our veterinary hospital to 100% integrative. So, um, what I mean by that is, every pet that came in, I combined Western and Eastern medicine. Um, as long as they were uh, amenable, I, I included acupuncture in those appointments. So, I was no longer seeing 
um, like the strictly Western patients that were coming in. Um, so at that point I was gaining a lot of clinical experience because I was offering acupuncture virtually in every appointment, um, or a form of it. If I couldn't do needles, like if the patient just wasn't open to needles. So that really, you know, that brought me a lot of, of good experience. Um, let's say also some trial and error, (laughs) you know, that I could share with my students, Um, And I think that ties back in directly to me setting those goals in the beginning, Um, because really one of my mantras was uh, every was basically every patient every time. So every patient I, I offered acupuncture every time. And it didn't you know, that might sound a little um, extreme to some folks because, yeah, there is there are going to be those handful of patients that won't tolerate acupuncture or maybe it just doesn't make sense for them. But it was all about practice. It was about practicing communications, practicing the the system and the flow of the appointments. Um, and if I wasn't doing acupuncture, I still did like little things like I felt the pulse on every patient, for example. Another question I get a lot in the course, like how do you or from other vets, how do you get better at pulse diagnosis? Well, um, you know, I made a commitment every patient, every time. So what that turned into wasn't so much that I talked to every single client about acupuncture or that every patient got acupuncture right in the beginning. But because I set that mantra, it evolved to that in three years. And we actually had to hire and wanted to hire an associate um, to take on to help my husband with, with the Western only appointments, because now I had, like I had set out to do, I had built this entire clientele around acupuncture and integrative medicine and my appointments were full. So, so what did we do with those, you know, those with this huge wait list that was forming for both our Western appointments and our integrative? Well, we decided to take on an associate, um, which actually ended up benefiting our quality of lives because then my husband and I got to take time off together and go on vacations together. So like when I say, I say a lot to veterinarians that integrative medicine will enhance your patient care, your practice and your own well-being. Like I really mean it will enhance your well-being if you do it right. And that's why I've stepped into the coaching space because I want to help each vet do it right um, in their own way, you know, there isn't only one right way, but there are definitely some systems and processes that you don't need to reinvent in order to be a successful integrative vet. And, and that's what I'm kind of bringing, bringing out. Um, and it all really stems from like, like you were bringing up, you know, heading back to the IVIS course, starting the TA three years after within two years of TAing, I became, um, the, t- the teaching assistant co- coordinator and the lab coordinator. So, um, you know, I've been doing that since 2013 and we're in 2021. So I have eight years of students, um, eight years of feedback from veterinarians about their challenges, both emotional and operational when it comes to integrating into practice. I want to ask you specifics about what you're doing for those doctors. But first, to satisfy my curiosity, um, when you look at your the demographics of people coming through the course now and the people that you're working with, is it are is it mostly associates who are in a practice or or co-owners, partners in a practice that are adding it on to an existing Western practice? Are doctors wanting to step away from Western medicine and, you know, provide a holistic, um, only sort of environment. What what are you seeing? Yeah, I'm definitely, um, comfortable speaking to that. What I will say is I don't have any data to back it up right here on the spot. So I'll just speak from my experience rather than from data. Um, in my experience, the, the tie that binds, like the recurrent theme is that these veterinarians want a transition of some type. And that could be anything from a transition to just offering something additional and natural um, and healthy for their patients into treatment plans, which was my first motivation, to literally they are in the full burnout phase and they want to retire and they don't ever want to do a, a Western medicine appointment again. Like it's a huge scope. Age is a huge scope. Uh, there's, there's a wide, wide variety of age. So 
Um, to answer your question, I don't think there's one dominating trend. The trend that I'm really happy about, though, is I would say it's more like a bell curve now. Um, the majority of veterinarians wanting to get certified in acupuncture, wanting to bring this to their patients, are are passionate about the integrative approach. Now, whether that means they're only going to provide holistic or they're going to provide both the holistic and the Western or the holistic and the conventional, um, that varies, right? But what I like seeing is there's a little bit less of this, I want to do natural only. Um, and of course, the people that only want to do Western don't show up for the course, so they're not really in it. Um, so I'm, I'm a little tongue-tied with what I, where I was trying to get to here, but if you get a minute, give me a minute, I think I can circle back to it. But um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that the majority of the vets who are attending, it's not so much that they only want to do Western or they only want to do Eastern or they only want to do things a certain way um, or they're completely burnout versus like they're super energized about uh, the fact that they're a new veterinarian or even a third or fourth year student. It's really more um, kind of in the middle, you know, like I said, it's more of a bell curve. Um, and when I first started teaching, I feel like there were a lot more, a lot more vets looking to use this as a way, use integrating acupuncture as a way out of Western medicine completely. Um, that makes think, total sense to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, that that's encouraging. And that's certainly the, the feel that I get in reading oh, and good. talking to people is that, you know, it used to be back even before I got certified that, you know, you took on these things because Western medicine was bad and we're, you know, and, and I like this idea that even, like you, you said, even though I may not provide that service, I'm going to refer people for that when I feel it's best for the patient. Okay. So the next big thing I want to ask you about were the tools that you're using and you, you've touched on a little bit, but I really want you to expound on the, the book, the ebook that you prepared for curious veterinarians about. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's actually an e-guide because I am one of those people that likes to learn in more bite-sized chunks <laughs> than books. And I think that that has shown up in the way that I'm approaching how I want to help and coach other veterinarians. So um, it is a very thorough guide and it's called um, the five common mistakes that veterinarians make when integrating holistic modalities into practice and how to avoid them. So it's not just uh, pointing out these mistakes. It's also providing some real world solutions. And it's, um, I feel pretty quick and to the point. So it's a nice quick read and it can provide you with strategies that you can use like right now. The way that you can access this is pretty simple. It's on my website and I haven't, I'm, I'm used to presenting um, in a more visual way where I have a link you can click on. But since we don't have that, I'll just say it out loud and maybe repeat it. But it's, um, my website is peopleandpet.com. And then it's backslash five vet mistakes. So peopleandpet.com backslash five, five vet mistakes. And I'll link to that in the show notes so people don't have to worry about that. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Okay. I love it when other people make my job easier. I think that's why I want to help other people's jobs <laughs> to be easier. Um, so yeah, so you can click on that link. I do request that you give, or you do have to enter your name and email address because I want to know that it's real people requesting my guide. And really what it is, it, it ties in with all of, with these themes that I've been referring to that I continuously see when I work with um, veterinarians who are attempting to integrate. Um, also, when I run into veterinarians out at conferences or out in my world, and they were my students three, four, five, six years ago at the IVIS course, like there's nothing more frustrating or upsetting to me than for me to, to ask like, Hey, how's it going with, with, you know, with integrating acupuncture, how's your acupuncture practice? And it's like, Oh, well, I haven't really had time to use it or a number of other responses that I get all with the bottom line of though, um, the, the baddies, I call them the reasons why the, the bad guys, the reasons why you haven't 
been able to get around to using acupuncture or, you know, there, there's a spectrum of this, right? So some of the vets are using it just not as much as they would like. Um, and then I get the handful that are like, yes, I'm using it every day, you know, and then that's a huge win. Um, so, but it's, it's the other two categories as far as why I created this guide. And so I, I'm happy to touch on the five mistakes and just kind of introduce them if you think that's a, uh, appropriate for our podcast. Okay. Um, so the first mistake uh, that I recognize, and this, this, this comes around, I hear about this mistake when vets are asking me, well, how do I even approach um, speaking about this with my clients? Um, how do I get my foot in the door? Or I just don't have enough time to talk about this in appointments. I'm already so busy with my Western, with my Western clientele. And so one thing I identified in asking them to share with me, like what their attempts have been, because I'll say like, well, well, what have you tried? Is that the number one mistake or the first mistake, not the number one, but the first mistake is that veterinarians tend to take way, way too much time explaining how acupuncture works from a scientific standpoint. And whether that be the Chinese medical science or the Western science, it's just too much time. And so in my guide, uh, what I say is in order to, to face this challenge, to fix this mistake or to not make it to begin with, is that you need to keep it really simple and to the point and that you want to focus specifically on why the modality or the acupuncture is going to help their pet. Um, because the bottom line is that's what clients want to know most. It's not all the scientific stuff around the modality. It's that it's going to help their pet, right? And so I give examples in the guide of how you can approach that, how to um, distill down your explanations and have goals around um, streamlining. So like one to two sentences, for example, instead of like you have no guideline, you just get in there and you start talking. Um, and so that's the first one. I I do encourage um, veterinarians to work in a story when they're giving their explanation to clients rather than a lot of science. So like, for example, I might say something like, well, you know, Sissy has kidney disease and I treat cats with kidney disease every day using acupuncture. And what I've seen is that they are feeling better, eating better and having a better quality of life because we're adding it into the plan. Right. And then you get permission and you move on. You know, you say, so are you up for it? And you move on. So that was the that's one of the first mistakes. And I feel like one of the easiest, easiest solutions to implement. So I kind of I kind of eased into my guide going with what could be implemented the most quickly with the least amount of analysis. Um, and then I head into the second mistake that I see, which is that um, vets don't do a great job engaging their team. So what happens is they get back to their practice and they want to bring on this amazing modality and everybody knows they went to the acupuncture course. Everybody knows they're certified or they're getting certified, but they don't actually really know what that means for the patients. They don't really know what's going on in there. And I always say that because my husband often would say to his clients, which I don't recommend, this is how you sell acupuncture or how you, you get your clients to do acupuncture. But he would say to his own Western clients, well, I'm not really sure what she does in there, but it works and the pets are doing better. <laughs> but that just, <laughs> you know, but that just speaks to the point that I made with mistake one, which is like, the, the clients really just want to know that you as the veterinarian, the expert have seen it work and that it's going to help their pet. So anyway, moving back to, to mistake number two. So engaging the team, um, you know, there are many ways you can do this. But what I did and what worked for me was to hold just a quick lunch and learn when I realized I was starting to be this island floating out in the middle of the sea compared to the rest of my practice. I realized I needed to provide at least um, a basis for what acupuncture is and why it's going to help our patients, our hospital patients. So that my team would feel comfortable, not only when they were working with me, but when they were working with other veterinarians and talking to clients um, and sharing this new, this new offering. So I held a quick lunch and learn. Um, it wasn't anything like structured. I didn't have a PowerPoint. It was just me um, using uh, my one to two sentence blurb about how acupuncture works from the scientific standpoint 
um, talking about a couple of case success stories. And then I actually offered um, to do a sign-up sheet for my um, staff, my team members to have their own pets treated. Uh, the sign-up sheet was really important because once again, circling back to time, if you just say, hey, I'm willing to do acupuncture on, on, on team pets, you know, come see me, you can put yourself in a pretty overwhelming situation. Um, you might not be able to, to service all those pets <laughs> in a timely manner. And then your team won't be engaged because they'll be like, oh, well, you know, Dr. Nell didn't even have time to help me with my pet, right? So I came up with a, a sign-up sheet that allowed me to work it into my schedule so that I didn't disappoint anybody. Um, I also offered to have different team members rotate into the room with me so that they could see what was happening in there. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so I engaged my team. And what was so awesome about that is it really was, um, it became the basis of my marketing program for acupuncture, really, because if your team can't speak knowledgeably about it, then when the clients call to ask about it, you just kind of hit a dead end. And so you're killing your own marketing program. So, yeah. And when I talk about engaging the team, I just want to point out that means everybody, the front office staff, the technicians, the veterinarians, one of my biggest referral sources for patients were, well, now we worked, our, we built our hospital up to a five doctor practice, but in the beginning, it would have just been my husband, Preston, the other vet and our new associate referring to me. Um, but boy, did that, I mean, that kept the wait list going, honestly, after three years, I hit a wait list and I, I never got to a point again in my practice where I didn't have a wait list. And by the time we were a five vet practice, we were taking on another integrative vet. So, yeah, so that's kind of how my, um, I tend to, I tend to jump around a little bit when I'm talking about my own story <laughs> because I have the freedom to do that. I promise when I coach, <laughs> I'm really strategic and I, and I, um, you know, I'm able to rein in other people's ideas, prioritize them and get them into the, the right order for success. Sometimes with my own ideas, I have to have other people help me streamline, but anyways, <laughs> uh, a little off topic, but that's me. Um, so yeah, so then just engaging your team because that's the, you know, that's the foundation of your marketing plan. And it's also the way that you don't become this island. You don't become isolated in the practice. And that happens to so many veterinarians out there. And there were times where I kind of felt, um, I could feel my, my island detaching from the continent, right? Like you kind of have to have your finger on the pulse, like you were saying, um, you know, at your own practice. So not just when I'm out teaching, but at my own practice, I need to have my finger on the pulse. And there's many times I have used my own tactics, my own solutions, I've gone back and used again and again, because I feel that gap, I felt that gap stretching between me and, and the Western practice. So you just have to sort of look at your solutions and say, okay, how can I apply these uh, in order to 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 bring myself back in and and for us to operate as a cohesive uh, integrative team. Um, the third mistake, uh, you know, goes right along with the marketing plan, and that's just that the third mistake is is that vets don't get the word out effectively to their clients. So they bring back this awesome modality. They know it's going to help patients. They're seeing enough. Um, patients whose whose parents are electing the modality to to be gaining some experience which is awesome but the majority of their own clients don't even know that it's an offering so you know i think that that vets can be or i shouldn't say vets in general cuz some vets really like the marketing approach and and they like social media but the majority that i run into seem to be a little overwhelmed by it or um it's just, it's just, they see it as one more thing and they don't want to learn how to do that one more thing, like how to get the word out. Well, engaging your team, uh, going back to that one, I'm sure there are folks on your team who know how to use social media <laughs> and, and the internet better than you do. Like it's very possible. Um, so I would definitely get a buddy. I had a buddy in my practice. Uh, one of our receptionists actually was my social media buddy. So we would work on it together and that way I wasn't executing all of the social media marketing. But if you don't use social media, if you have a newsletter you send out, 
if you have, um, whether that's hard copy or via email, you know, everybody is in a different kind of zone as far as marketing and, 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 uh, e-marketing go. Um, so if you do newsletters, if you do bulletin boards, when I actually brought it back to my practice, we still had the, we still had monthly bulletin boards in the lobbies, <laughs> which, which we don't do anymore. Um, kind of sad because it really was fun and creative, but, um, but anyways, we had monthly bulletin boards. So for our clients who weren't on the web, they could see it in our bulletin boards. And um, we also put up like um, little notices or flyers in our lobby. So just getting the word out using any of your existing marketing channels first. So I don't want, I think it's important that if you already have some existing marketing channels, whether that's a newsletter or emails or social media, that you start with that one first and then you add on to it. That way you don't hit overwhelm. That way you're just creating content. You're you're mainly in charge of creating content and getting the message right, you know, like getting that message the way that you want it to come across rather than trying to learn a whole new marketing avenue or channel. And so I would start with the ones you know and then if you decide you want to build from there, awesome. And in the guide I talk about some ideas on how to do that. Um the the great thing about acupuncture and holistic modalities are that even though they're more becoming more and more popular, we have more and more vets doing them, they are still pretty quite novel. We are still very special. Um, and our clients see that as something special and unique that they're participating in. But, and what's really cool about that is that it it really incites them to be even more forthcoming when it comes to word of mouth, like they are going to share. So even if you don't end up doing any of the marketing channels, please focus on engaging your team and getting them to be your marketing buddies. And, and you can just come up with a way that you want receptionists and uh, technicians and other vets to talk about your offering within their appointments. Sure. Um, yeah. And also, and, and I didn't say this because um, I have to remind myself, you know, once again, like, what was it like when I first started out? Um, it, I also just want to say, like, your your greatest pool of clients, if you're already in an existing Western practice, is going to be those clients that are already coming to the hospital or those clients who are already coming to the practice. So don't spend a bunch of energy trying to get brand new clients out there in the community first, because you already have this huge pool of people that trust you with their pets. And those are the people you want to start um, bringing this to first and, and marketing to first, because they're very likely to adopt your recommendations more readily since they know, like, and trust you already. You bet. Um, so then we're almost to four and five. And I think feel like these are the toughest ones to talk about. Um, mistake number four is that vets don't allow enough time to implement their new modality. Mm. Um, they just don't allow enough time. And I think that that is attached to two different things. One is the time stress that we experience as veterinarians, especially right now. Um, I know that many practices are overwhelmed with volume, you know, so actually saying I'm going to take more time to complete appointments when you're at a place where your demand is so high that your volume is overflowing and you're overwhelmed um, and then justifying that time with the financial piece, those are those are a little bit scary for vets. But let's start with time. Um, what I'll say to that is that I already shared that when I brought acupuncture back, we were in the middle of the economic crisis and our practice was struggling. I added 15 minutes to every single appointment that I saw. I just did that. So I tried it out for about I'd say a month or two without adding time to my appointments. And I found it was just too stressful from the time standpoint. And so I added 15 minutes to every single, every single appointment that came in to see me. And I'm talking about regular Western appointments. And that allowed me the space to at least talk about what I was offering. It also reduced the time stress I was feeling because I actually don't operate well on short appointment times. And instead of fighting that, <laughs> what I did was I just decided like, well, 
like pick a starting point. How much time do you think you need to feel more comfortable to be less stressed out? And then when we get to mistake number five, you'll see how I approach that as far as from the financial standpoint. Um, I think it's much more, uh, there's a greater loss in productivity and possible ethical, ethical revenue if you never offer this new modality that you invested in than if you go ahead and budget out for 15 minutes for every appointment. Fast forward a couple years into this, the vets at my hospital realized how much happier I was seeing appointments that were 15 minutes longer. And our entire hospital took that approach, the mm. entire hospital. So like every veterinary appointment standard was 45 minutes. Nice. And you might think, you might be saying, oh, Dr. No, you are crazy. We cannot afford to do that. And we're already overwhelmed. And we already have a wait list. Um, you can do it. You, you absolutely can do it. Um, and that is what brings me to mistake number five, which is that vets don't charge enough. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest number one reason why I see holistic modalities fail. Because when you don't charge enough for what you're doing, there's two things that happen. Your emotional side, whether you want to admit it or not, is actually, you're, you're actually not receiving value. And subconsciously, because of that, you're not feeling great about what you're providing. Um, and then from the operational standpoint, it's very hard to convince your, your practice owner um, or the other um, stakeholders on your team that this is a viable treatment option that can bring uh, healthy revenue to the practice if you're not charging for it. And they may give up on you as well, right? Like, so you may give up on yourself or they may give up on you, but the outcome is the same. So really need to come up with charging strategies that support sustainability, both from um, the practice success and the personal success standpoint. Um, if you're able to make this a healthy return on investment, you can actually go back and invest more into your integrative program. Um, you can you know, you can obtain new tools. Uh, you can attend continue. You can attend continuing education. So, if you're the type of person that really has a hard time thinking about profit for the sake of profit, right? Which is never profit for the sake of profit. Profit is how we how we stick around, how we're able to to take care of our patients for a longer period of time, and it significantly reduces our stress. Which means, from an energy standpoint, we're going to do a better job taking care of our patients. When you're weighed down by financial stress, your energy is not as bright as it could be, right? And so um, with the guide, I just offer a couple of really simple, like not highly analytical, simple strategies for beginning to charge in a way that will bring health to both your, your practice and to, um, and to your personal satisfaction. All right. Um, and so you can check those out. Like I said, um, I'm really thankful because Neil is going to um, <laughs> include that link and uh, you can check those out on my website. And I believe they can be implemented pretty quickly and easily. Of course, not everybody is a DIYer. And these are just very brief um, kind of baseline ideas for you to start improving your practice um, and enhancing your practice. So I also offer uh, the one-on-one -on -one coaching. <laughs> awesome. Um, <clears throat> thanks for going through those, Nell. Um, I took a run through your website over the last few days, and, and certainly things are laid out there in a really uh, cohesive manner you know, what you're offering and, and the things that are available to veterinarians. I'm a huge fan of coaching. So I'm certainly glad that we were able to talk about it and that you're offering these services. Cause I do think that they're really needed. Oh, thank you. Thanks for your time. I, I don't want to, I want to respect your time for today, but I, I really appreciate you talking about where you've been, where you're going. Um, the, I think you're spot on with the, the issues that you've, you've seen as far as veterinarians implementing these things into their practice and changing their lives. I mean, I think uh, the fact that you brought up that uh, 
you know, this just can't be a band-aid, this idea that I'm going to add these things to my practice and it's going to make instantly make me happy. And it, no more than doing anything else different in your life, you really have to know about the why and, and that things are going to be, uh, that it's a strategy, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, I only wanted to mention one more thing that came to my mind and that is we talked about the guide. We talked about the one-on-one coaching that I'm offering. Um, and the last piece is that I have some really, what I think are really cool ideas, um, about offering group workshops, live group workshops and species specific workshops, um, in, you know, two to three hour increments. So if you want to stay in on the loop for that, like um, if you want to be notified when those come out, I can also do that once I have your email address. So um, I kind of look at it as the guide is uh, the most DIY version and my one-on-one coaching is the, the most interaction that you can get with me. And then in the middle, I see these group workshops as a way to provide, you know, provide tools for veterinarians out there that they can't quite do it on their own, but they also don't want the time commitment that comes with a one-on-one coach. So um, I hope to offer those pretty soon. And I'd love to have your email, which you can get to me by signing up for the guide. Um, or you can just reach out to me through the website. There's a really obvious button that says for vets, and then it'll say contact Dr. Nell through email. So, um, yeah, I'd love to keep you in the loop. And I'm just, I'm so happy I was able to do this today and talk more about how my career is evolving and, and sharing that with others. Thanks, Nell. I'm, I will put uh, links for the, both the guide and just for your website, because I think it's worth a look for anybody to check out. Um, thanks again for your time. And I hope to talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.